Hello and welcome back to the Embodied and Sovereign podcast. On today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Kendra Kunov. So I came upon Kendra's uh, work fairly recently within the past year and immediately just fell deeply in love with her discerning wisdom, her compassion, her humor, and her ability to call bullshit without this underlying air of superiority that I feel often accompanies that kind of um, uh, action. Um, so she was born at the San Francisco Zen Center and lived there with her mom until she was seven, uh, immersed in an environment where people were consciously engaging in life. And so I can only imagine, because that's not how I grew up, mm -hmm. how that kind of um, solid conscious foundation, uh, what that laid for you as an adult. Um, she is the founder of The Collective, a global web of women devoted to embodied wholeness. She's also the co-founder of Authentic World and Fierce Grace, and as well as the Embodied Relationship Training Salon with John Wineland. She has worked with thousands of men and women and couples in areas of embodiment, intimacy, communication, full self-expression, and has been studying, facilitating, and more importantly, practicing authentic relating embodiment practice and deep intimacy work for over 15 years. So with that introduction, thank you so much for joining me today, Kendra. Thank you. Yeah. So um, one of the first ways that I was introduced to you is your work on boundaries. Mm. And you are the creator of this program called Beyond Boundaries. And I have, and have shared, you have shared extensively on this topic. Um, in one post that you wrote, I think it was from one of your blog posts, mm -hmm. um, when we, you, when we relate to our boundaries as rigid and tend to set our boundaries out at their farthest point because we are afraid we won't be able to dance with our own boundaries and both know and communicate what works for us in each moment. So, so many people view boundary work as rigid or like black and white, um, all or nothing. And I certainly did when I first started consciously working with boundary work. But as you so eloquently illustrate here, boundary work is nearly always more fluid and dynamic and responsive in each moment, like a dance. Mm -hmm. um, can you just share a little bit about why this more nuanced distinction is so important? Yeah, I love, I, I just love that inquiry. Um, and I think it's so important. So just a couple like pieces that I'll say about that and then pull them together. One is that piece that you pulled out is actually one of the primary reasons that I created Beyond Boundaries. It's actually why I call it Beyond Boundaries, um, which I think sometimes is confusing for people. They're like, why would I wanna go beyond my boundaries? Uh, but it's this idea that for me, it's beyond what we tend to think of as boundaries, like how we hold them in this sort of rigid and specific way. And, and the, the first piece that I would say about like, why is that so important? It's because it's true. <laughs> like, it's so important that we hold boundaries and work with them in that way because it's true. And the, one of the very first pieces that I actually teach in Beyond Boundaries is for people to 
describe, like actually look at the landscape of their being and their relationships in their life and describe the boundaries rather than prescribe them. Mm, I love that. And I think that what we find when we do that, like it's so often it's talked about, like, I need to create more boundaries or like what's um, set them. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there is truth to that. It's not, it's not untrue, but I think it misses this nuance that actually our boundaries already exist. Mm-hmm. And then we get to choose how we set them, when we set them, with whom we set them, where we hold them, how we hold them. Like we could literally have a boundary and then be like, but I'm actually not going to set it with somebody. <laughs> and that, and that's a choice, but it, whether we say or communicate or hold a boundary actually isn't, um, that doesn't define whether with that boundary exists. Mm. The boundary exists, whether we set it or define it or say it or hold it or communicate it. Mm. All, it already exists because, and we feel that. I think we all feel that. And we feel the way that a person can speak to us or move toward us or relate to us in a certain way and it's okay. And then another person does it and it's not okay. And that's, it's like, oh, look, that's not a rigid boundary. It's relational, it's circumstantial. And that doesn't mean it's untrue. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Oh. Yeah. Um, so to kind of go along with this um, theme of boundaries. So um, I also, I love Brene Brown's work and she, I heard her say this quote, I can't remember exactly where, but she said the most compassionate people are the most boundaried she found in, in her research. And when I first heard this, I was confused a bit because I was hearing it from this old paradigm, right? Of understanding boundaries more as these like rigid walls where we kind of keep people away and it just didn't compute that like how, but like, you know, I from this old paradigm being compassionate as like very giving and like almost like no, no boundary, right? Right. Um, however, in understanding boundaries from this perspective that you're sharing, it makes complete sense uh, because the boundaries are, are about what we allow within our own space, ideally consciously, right? Yes. Uh, like our, our personal boundaries. So when we are not being authentically compassionate to this to self or others, um, when when we allow things within our own boundaries that degrades our compassion, I feel mm-hmm. like, um, yeah. So I mean, I like to think about the again. I mean, I think ultimately it is true our boundaries are our own, but in the broadest sense, the boundaries within ourselves within a particular relationship within our experience in any community which could be like our workspace our friendship community um it is what allows for the most love like friendship expression the the boundary ultimately should i don't like the word should but i would say should be in the place that allows for the most love and life. Yes. And I actually did a piece more recently where I talked about the idea of boundaries as like community responsibility. Mm-hmm. So rather than like, so I, so when I'm working with an individual, I will always say your boundaries are your own and they are your responsibility. And if I say something and you cross that boundary, like often what I hear is like, but we had an agreement that they wouldn't da da da. And then they, 
you know, and I don't mean abusive, but I just mean like, you know, we said we wouldn't talk and then they reached out to me and then they have this whole conversation with them and they're like, but then why did they cross my boundaries? And I'm like, actually, you didn't hold that moment. They reached out of like, actually, we're not talking right now or just not responding or, you know, there's so many places, but where we really take there, there is a place of personal responsibility. Totally. And I think if and when we're resourced enough, we can actually start to feel more in the dynamic, oh, where does the boundary need to be? And that person might not be able to hold it, or they might not know that that's their boundary. Or um, one of the examples that I often give around this actually is with my mother. And and the, the place where I, I uh, sort of thought like I should just keep doing and like more work on myself. Like basically I should, I should be remain kind no matter what. Yeah. And in one sense, like, I'm like, yeah, that's a great, like, like I do want to keep moving towards that. Yes. I can remain calm or kind or no matter what. And I had to tell the truth, which was, I couldn't. Yeah. And I still can't. <laughs> and that, and so it's actually very loving to just be honest rather than I should be able to like, what is true right now? And the truth was that I was not able to remain kind if my mother was in my space for more than like 48 hours straight. And so I set a boundary, which is you can only stay two nights in my house. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can't visit longer, but actually you can't. And it, and it seemed like I was like pushing her out, but it was actually me saying, I, I am so committed to being kind to you and being honest about that I seem to not be able to do that (laughs) yet if it goes on longer than this. And so therefore I'm setting the space in which I can speak to you in the way that I wanna speak to you and that I can relate to you in the way that I wanna relate to you and that I wanna see my kids. Like I want, this is how I want us to see them, to see us relate. Mm. And and until I expand in that capacity, this is my boundary. I love that. So it's because this is something that I have, um, I think most people can, can relate to this where, um, yeah, I, I constantly strive towards being more kind and, and more compassionate and more loving. But I think of like the yamas and niyamas from yoga, like the first two are, um, truth and nonviolence and how those two need to be married right Mm -hmm. way to really do their work because for me like growing up in this way where it it was like more there's a I I prioritize nonviolence but not the honesty of being like oh I can't maintain this nonviolence or this kindness um after this amount of time like you're describing and it and it's it is very compassionate towards the self too right Absolutely. I mean, but I really think like it's compassionate towards both. Yes. And that it really is like, it's so beautiful that you said that because we will say over and over, like, I'm so committed to nonviolence, but then we'll act violent. Like I would yell at my mother. Right. And I'm like, actually it was not me being nonviolent to not set that boundary. It was actually, it, it created a space in which I was violent. Yes. And so, um, it, it does take though that piece, that first piece of truth. That's what I call actually the first pillar of sacred sovereignty mm-hmm. is honesty. And then I put in parentheses with self because I think that's the most primary, but like, oh, I have to tell the truth about what I'm capable of yeah. and that it is not 
more compassionate to to aspire to something that I'm, I mean, I can aspire to it, but it's not more compassionate to try to be what I am not yet. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, to me, that feels like getting stuck in this, uh, linear thinking of, and like perfectionism, this like idea of what it should look like. I should always be able to be kind, you know, no matter what circumstance or something. And, um, yeah, I love that so much. Um, so, for people listening, what is, do you have any like, like one or two practices they can do at home to just kind of tune into and feel their more, their personal boundaries more authentically? It's a great question. Um, so this kind of three things that they all go together. <laughs> And, and, I, and I actually think it's important sometimes at the outset to remove the obligation that we need to do anything about it. So that's kind of one piece, right? We think like, once I know my boundary, I have to set it. And that actually is part of what keeps us from knowing our boundaries because it's so scary sometimes to imagine setting it or to imagine like, like, well, I can't tell my mother that, or I can't say that to my husband, or I can't, you know, if I do say that to my children, then dot, dot, dot will happen. And then we're kind of like, you know, tripping out into the future about imagining setting a boundary. And so we just, re we, we don't even tell the truth about the boundary. So it's kind of the first part is to the best of our ability, like remove the obligation, I have to do anything about it. And then the second piece is, is just two ways I would say of looking at the same thing, which is in that descriptive sense, like just starting to describe. And some of that can be more in the inquiry kind of meditative space of just sitting with like, I wonder where, like I can reflect on experiences I've had or just feel into like, well, where is my boundary? How do I, how do I want people to relate to my body or how do I want to be spoken to or my home even right like I oftentimes talk about uh you know people I need people to take their shoes off when they come in my house it doesn't mean I don't want them in my house and if they say like well I don't take my shoes off ever with other people then we doesn't mean we can't be friends but that that's that's again that's where it becomes dynamic but it's like oh these are these are actually boundaries I have I don't want people to come to my house without calling first um I, you know, we, so we can reflect in that way, but I think also another way is just bringing that awareness into life. And, and I would say that um, if we feel like things that we might describe as um, I feel angry, like often people will say, I feel disrespected, which I, we could go down a whole thing about that. But I think it's a great access point to just notice if I feel disrespected, probably I have a boundary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I am in the space of like, why does it, why do we always do it their way? Mm. There's probably a boundary too. This is a whole thing that I have on it might not even be their way. Like both of us actually might not like it, but if I don't like it, I'll assume it's their way. So yeah. just start, but starting to notice these things or um, whatever, maybe your primary trauma, we could call them trauma responses, right? So if you notice, if you're more of a fawner, mm -hmm. if you notice yourself like really trying to appease people, mm 
it often actually points to a boundary because we're doing that in order like I hope something will stop happening if I do this. I'm more of like a freezer. So if I get like I get rigid in my jaw or if I start to notice my eyes get real wide, like that's a freeze response. That usually means something's happening that I wish weren't happening or I wish it were different. Um, so the first ones that I talked about are more of that fight, right? Like I feel defensive, I'm angry. So looking at those places, looking at them less, if we can get that zoomed out awareness and just start to go like, I'm so curious, I'm so curious about my experience. Those are moments where we can go like, oh, I wonder what might be the boundary here. And, it, and again, removing like, I don't have to say it, I don't have to set it, I don't have to do anything. I actually just wanna discover, oh, it was just too fast. Oh, they came too close to me. Like, oh, there was a word they said I don't like. Um, oh, like we just start to get nuanced into what, well, what was that that happened that actually I would like it to be a different way? Yeah, I love that. I love, um, like in my work, we, we pay a lot of attention to that, like that physical or emotional feeling response. And when I first learned about these, um, you know, like what freeze looks like in normal day-to-day -day life. Cause we, when we, I think a lot of people, when we hear about it, we think, oh, out in the wild, <laughs> when you have a freeze response and you're being attacked by a lion or something, <laughs> but, but it's like <clears throat> these uh, symptoms of like freeze response are, are less um, clear too, right? In like, like fight is a little more obvious. Fawn, maybe not so much, but still, but freeze even, uh, I think because our, our heart rate lowers too. And so it's even harder for doctors or someone to mm -hmm. really notice when, cause it, it can look like normal. Right. Um, so I think that's, I, I love that you pointed to that because I think for people who their tendency is the freeze response and that's mine too. Mm -hmm. it, um, we have to pay a little more attention because it's mm -hmm. not quite as, as obvious when we're having that like, yeah. And I think there's like the out the outcome we want, which is like I can know my boundaries and I can state them and I can hold them and I, that's like the outcome. But I really always love to pull it back to like ultimately we just become more intimate with ourselves. Yeah. And so that whole first piece is is like, oh, I actually I want to know what is my response. Mm -hmm. Maybe I think I have a fight response, but actually I have a freeze or maybe, you know, um, often there is a freeze response in people who look very calm. Like, again, this is me, like I've developed, like I have a lot of capacity to be still and like zoom out. And it's a little bit of a flight. And it's a little bit of a freeze, but it looks great, man. People like love that response. <laughs> so, because I do the same. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like a place of just getting intimate with ourselves. Like, oh, and it doesn't even mean we have to get rid of that, right? That's a great, I'm sure you find that incredibly valuable as like a coach or as someone who holds space as a teacher. So again, when we can, when we can get curious rather than judgmental and have the outcome, and we can go like, oh, I love that response. I want choice around it. Yes. I want to be able to choose. I want to be able to choose how I respond. Mm -hmm. And right now I get real automatic calm, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think there's this distinction between being responsive. Like I get, mm -hmm. I get that choice and responsiveness and um, versus like just reactivity. Mm -hmm. right? Where we're just kind of pinging off of 
what's happening. And it is so much more empowering to feel responsive, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So you did a YouTube live last year called Our Boundaries Selfish. And so as someone who um, I consider myself to be like a recovering people pleaser, um, I struggled for years with this feeling that having boundaries was selfish, like really, really struggled with it. I still do occasionally, but it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. And the doubts that you described in this talk, like (laughs) I've had them, it's like, I should be able to get over this. Um, If only I was a better person or I had a bigger heart or I was more generous. And we've kind of touched on this a little already, but um, I feel like these are, these are like subtle ways of making our own needs and our own boundaries wrong. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Well, and what I love about, you know, the conversation we were having before about this is that it's the reminder because again, I think that part of including ourselves is so important. And I also think what is helpful to remember is that it actually allows us to love the other person better. Yes. Also. Yeah. So um, there's a, a teacher, their first name I think is Prentice. I can't think what their last name is. I'll try to share it with you. Maybe it's Prentice Hill. I'm, I'm like, am I just making that up? But they say something like a boundary is the place that allows me to love myself and you at the same time. I know the quote, yes. And I've said things very similar to that over the years, but I love the way that they put that so concisely. And I have a couple, like I have a piece that I wrote on what I call right distance in relationship. That was actually an insight I had based on um, my child and I like saying good morning to the sun. And I was like, fuck, you know, if we were any different place like we wouldn't exist and I think you know so we're in relationship right the earth is in relationship with the sun and it's the same with human beings and I realized this with my ex-husband because he was living in the same um like townhouse complex but we were totally separate like we didn't share property because it was this you know he had his own rent had his own relationship with the rental company and I was like oh that's right distance like we can be that close but we couldn't actually own land together, right? So having really being in that dance about what is the right distance um, that again, it allows for life. Like the distance the sun is from the earth is literally what allows for life and relationships are like that. There's like, and we can feel the gradation, right? In relationships, it's not necessarily, you know, it has to be right here or it's dead which is kind of like earth and sun, but it's like, we can feel life being cultivated and we can feel where it starts to be more dead end. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's, we get too far away and it's like, oh, there's not life here, but sometimes it's too close and we can feel it actually starts to kill the, the lifing of it or the love. My, my ability to really like you, you know? Um, Yeah. I love that because that it feels I've never thought of it that way. And I think that is such a beautiful inspiration, you know. Um, this like to me, it feels like when you were describing this like realization with the sunshine, it's like, yeah, if the sun was too cl- it's almost like the sun's too close, it's like too much love, like quote unquote. It's like this, like maybe yeah. more um in the, if I'm drawing it back into this analogy of like people pleasing or codependency where there it's like um it's not 
it's still not real. It's like this, it's like smothering in a way. Where That's like, what I was going to say. It's like stifling. It's yeah. state. It actually that the people, I mean, people pleasing stifles love. Right. Or stifle, yeah. It stifles love. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Whereas I would say, um, what do they call it avoidant, right? Like avoidant attachment, but that it's like that starves love. Yes. So there's like stifling love and starving love, but they both actually don't, you know, one maybe doesn't feed the love, but the other doesn't allow love to breathe. Yes. We, we need, we need both. Like they're actually not, you know, better. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. I'm going to sit with that later. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so on the topic of sovereignty, um, mm -hmm. Another one, which I really appreciate your discernment. Um, many, many people I feel like have this notion that sovereignty mean, means something like it's very strong and very boundaried and isolated, kind of like an island almost or something. And mm -hmm. however, we obviously, we cannot remove ourselves from our environment. We're always somewhere. Um, I kind of attached to this distinction that like a sovereign person or country, um, they're sovereign, they're not interfered with, right? Mm. That's kind of this, a sovereign being is not interfered with, or they don't allow interference, but they can certainly be influenced yeah. by the surrounding people and or countries. Um, so yeah, would you just share some of your thoughts on this subject? Well, you spoke largely to like, once again, where, um, I, I created the my work around what I call sacred sovereignty in a little bit in response to exactly what you described. I was feeling I was like this I, this word sovereignty and this idea and like the teaching of sovereignty sort of you know got real hip, but it felt very um, self oriented like in a bubble. Yeah. And, and I, I, some, for a long time, I mean, we used to teach about this in the early days of authentic relating is really the dance between agency and communion, mm -hmm. which I would call independence and connection. Yeah. Um, and the way that I was seeing sovereignty talked about felt very much like it was weighted towards agency. Mm -hmm. And so there were two fundamental pieces. There's, um, I ultimately wrote a thing where I had five pillars of sacred sovereignty, but there's two that I would speak to specifically here. And one is, um, is the truth of interdependence. And similar to when you asked the question at the beginning, like why is it important to look at boundaries as fluid in this way? I was like, well, because it's true. Yeah. And I say that about interdependence too. I, I, I'm often even stuck at what more to say about that. I'm like, well, it's just true. It's like gravity. Yeah. We are not more free if we pretend gravity doesn't exist. So we are not more sovereign or more free if we pretend interdependence doesn't exist. And I, this, this sweet little example um, that happened on Facebook actually with some people that I don't really know, but there was a woman that I don't really know, but I'm connected to who just asked a question around how do you track the moon cycles? Mm. And, and I do, I mean, my whole, the membership that I run is completely around seasons and moon cycles. And, um, and so I went into the thread and I saw another woman that I'm connected to, but don't really know 
who basically said like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> and, and I, and I just remember, I said, well, we are impacted by the moon. Or I said, I said something like that in response and their response was something to the effect of like, oh, I guess I don't like to think that I'm controlled by anything outside myself. Uh -huh. And I remember sort of laughing and I was like, oh, that's so cute. You know, like, <laughs> like one, and I say that with so much love because yeah. one, I totally get it. Like none of us want to be controlled by something outside ourselves. And I, so I responded, I said, well, first, I don't really think of it as controlled, but I do think we are influenced. Yeah. And second, like, I think it's happening whether you want it to happen or not. Right. Like, it, we actually are impacted by the sun and we are impacted by the moon. And then just like you brought in, we actually are impacted by all the beings around us, human and more than human. Yeah. And to deny that, I think actually limits us because we're because we, then we are no longer, like you said, in responsiveness to reality. Yeah. Like a reality that we are pretending, like if I, if I just pretend there's not a wall there, I mean, I'm going to bang myself into it on a regular basis. <laughs> so we become more responsive, like, oh, how do I want to get out of this room? Given that there's a wall there. Now I can break it down and make a new door. <laughs> I can go out the window. You know, there's all kinds of things I can do, but that all happens actually in relation to, well, the door is there, the window is there. That's a solid wall right now. Um, there's a closet, you know, I can pretend like I go out the closet and then I'm going to like, so we get, to, we actually become more creative, I think, in response to the recognition of actual interdependence, like what is actually so. Yeah, it's, it would be a lot more effort, uh, unnecessary effort to just <laughs> break the walls down and when, when there's a door right there yeah I mean I, I want to change the whole yeah. dynamic of it's totally possible yeah but I first have to acknowledge there is a wall right yeah yeah <laughs> I can't even do the like the demo the demolition if I don't acknowledge there's a wall you know like <laughs> <laughs> I love that because it's I think it's like I think the reason I like I keep you know, coming at this kind of from different perspectives is because I know so many people struggle with, um, you know, just getting it right. They're getting like, well, we are affected by the moon. You know, we are affected by these things that like, we, we literally have no other, there is no choice in a, in a way. Right. Right. And, um, it, I like hearing you talk about it from all these different perspectives. Cause it's like, you know, so at some point, like things will land differently for people too, right? Or like get in. Yeah. yeah. Well, and part of what you're speaking to, I mean, I, there's the one part which is really like different parts will land and it'll be like, oh, right, that. But, you know, part of this is based on, it really does require us to hold at least two seemingly opposing truths. Yeah. I actually have no control over that I am impacted by things outside myself. And it's easy if we, if that's all we hold, we're just like, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Or like, I guess I, you know, predetermination or, and then we don't like that yeah. for all kinds of reasons. Then we like, I create my own reality. Mm -hmm. And if we only hold that, then there's all kinds of things that get missed. And if we can hold both, again, it's that place of creativity. 
-hmm. Like the other example I give, I've never done this, so I'm kind of making it up, but it are the people who put on like wingsuits and they dive, (laughs) right? Somebody looked at humans and like looked at cliffs and was like, humans aren't created to fly. We're going to fly. Yeah. But they didn't do that by pretending that humans were made to fly or by pretending that gravity doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. They actually took all of the actual influences into consideration to create a flight suit. That only exists because somebody actually looked at all of the what are considered limitations Mm -hmm. and said, I'm gonna gonna work with those. Yes. And then every person, this is where I'm kind of making it up because I don't know for sure, but I bet I'm right. (laughs) Every person who puts on a flight suit is in intimate relationship with how high is this cliff? Mm. Um, What is the actual wind speed today? Mm-hmm. which direction is the wind going right now mm-hmm. what you know like all, all of these things and they're actually intimately connected with what all those things that could be considered limitations such that I mean some people do die but it's a small amount yeah. considering that humans are not made to fly and they're jumping off cliffs <laughs> you know they, they and it's the people who work best with the actual causes and conditions that have, you know, the best flights, probably. Sounds awful to me, but like. <laughs> yeah, I know, it sounds terrifying to me. Like, I, w- I would like to be that kind of person and I'm not. <laughs> um, I like that because I've never thought of it that way where it's like this, you're kind of riding the wave of the limitation. Yeah, so, I mean, surfing is another great analogy. Yeah. All of, you know, it's like you just find it everywhere when you, when you start to want to hold those two things at the same time. It's like, okay, I want to, and I just went this way a little too much, or I just went, but like, oh, what's a, because it, because it's just, like I said, like, it's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe before I die, <laughs> I'll try it out. <laughs> I would um, rather go surfing. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see, I'm just checking time. Um, let's see. So uh, you did another YouTube live um, earlier this year on <clears throat> working with mistakes in an empowering way. And for me, this this talk really highlights one of your subtle strengths, this like ability that you seem to have to bring such humanity into what you share, which takes, again, like a tremendous amount of compassion um, so would you just share how, if this, I don't know how easy this is, but I'm just going to word it this way. Yeah. Um, would you just share how you're able to shift this awareness of recognizing, like, like we all make mistakes as human, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even if we attempt to avoid them, but how we kind of transmute those mistakes into, um, actually empowering ourselves. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever delved into the Enneagram or if, you know, your listeners have. Okay. Um, So I love the Enneagram, like just as a system Mm -hmm. and without going into the whole thing, I'll just say like, I do the one on the Enneagram, which is it's the perfectionist or the righteous crusader. 
And so I think in some way that partly I bring these things forward because they are what I have worked with in my life. Like, like to make a mistake is like, or to be wrong, you know, it's like a kind of death. Um, and so I would say mistakes are an example of this piece that to me is so pivotal. Um, I'm kind of, I'm touching on all these things and I'll bring it all together, I promise. Yeah. But ultimately what I am most interested in, both personally and collectively is wholeness. Mm. And, and so, however this has come, I think my intention has been to like draw the circle wider and wider. Mm. Like, oh, if we're talking wholeness, actually that has to be included too. And it, in boundaries, the way we've talked about, you know, often what I'll talk about is like, we have to include ourselves in the circle. Like if we're drawing a circle around, you know, it's just like, it's all about them. It's not true because we have to be included in that circle. And then for our own wholeness, part of the reason I talked about mistakes like this, and I also talk about it in terms of like being needy or all these things, like these things that so many of us are like, if I could just get rid of that part. <laughs> right. <laughs> then I would be whole. And to me, even that that gesture doesn't allow for wholeness mm -hmm. because we are actually trying to remove something in the search of the completeness. And so again, it's seemingly opposing, right? Is my jealousy or my fear or my neediness the truth? quote unquote, such that I should act on it and run my life based on it? No, but is it also part of me right now? Yes, therefore it has to be included in the circle of my wholeness to be able to actually own like this is who I am as a being is someone who has made this mistake, um, who spoke in a way that I am not proud of, who has done these things in my past. Um, who is afraid in these ways, who feels needy in these ways, who still gets jealous in these ways, like actually that, and to be willing to, uh, it sounds kind of trite, but I, I don't know how else to say it, but basically to be willing to love all those parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That to me is, is the wholeness. Yeah. And so, anything even and again this is where we see this in the personal growth world like I kind of think a lot of while reframing can be very helpful there can also be a compulsion mm -hmm. to not include like I'm going to reframe reframe failure as like a growth opportunity mm -hmm. and it's like sometimes that's really important but sometimes it's because I, I cannot like oh I tried something and I failed yeah and if I can't say like I failed then I'm not including failure as part of wholeness. Yeah. Or if I have to reframe mistakes as like, it was the best thing I could have done at the time. Like, again, is there a thread of truth in that? Yes. But if I can't go like, oh, I made a mistake and I'm still okay. Yeah. I'm still worthy of love and respect and success. Ha not just reframing mistakes, but actually having made mistakes, then I'm not including mistakes as part of wholeness. 
I love that because I can even just like feeling into that right now, the difference in that distinction. It's like, it's, there's more depth to it. Mm-hmm. Like I can feel that in my own self where when we're just reframing something, it's almost like bypassing in a way. It definitely can be, you yeah. know, so like all of these things, I think it's, it's a very nuanced thread to weave. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just, I'm, cause I'm always curious to hear from other, um, I don't know if you consider yourself a coach or, um, what you call yourself, but when, when you're working with your clients and students, mm-hmm. um, what is one of your favorite experiences or realizations, uh, to witness and facilitate for them? Hmm. Well, I'll say two things and we've talked about both of them. So the first one I'll say, because it's been coming up a lot, is um, my program, which is called the No Man Diet, comes to a close. So I, I lead it once a year, and it just the program just completed, and um, and and so many women have said something to this effect, where they're like, you know, at the beginning of this program, Kendra said we were going to fall in love with ourselves. And I thought like, want, 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 like what I actually want is a partner or a man or to get married, you know, like, (laughs) and they're like, but it actually happened. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) And so beyond um, the cliche of self-love, what I really love witnessing is when people are like, oh my God, I actually, I actually really like myself. I'm, I love spending time with me or that, whatever that is, as you know, as you say, like an embodied experience rather than like some abstract concept called self-love. I should, if I, once I love myself more, then I'll be whole, right? This, but it's like, oh, I like me, you know, I'm really, oh, I'm enjoying me. Oh, I'm proud of me. Oh, like I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, oh, like I'm so cute. Um, So that, that is like, I love that one. Because I truly, truly believe that the more that people like themselves, like the better we all are. Yeah. And then the other one we've talked about too, which is really choice. Like when people really get, oh, I get to choose here. And all of the options are possible. Mm. I don't have to choose to set the boundary or can't set the boundary or I don't have to choose yes or have to choose no or like actually all of the options are and I actually get to choose what I want that's probably my favorite Mm. it's so empowering Mm -hmm. um and then what just also out of curiosity what are some of your own like tried and true rituals or routines that help you personally, like cultivate a deeper relationship and intimacy with your own embodied experience? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, well, one is, you know, that I, it, is, I, it is really important for me to work with other teachers. And it's less this idea, like as a coach, I have to have a coach, but it, it's, it, I just, when I put myself in the space of other people I, then I touch other parts of myself that I won't necessarily habitually touch left to my own devices. So finding those people that, um, and it can be very specific. You know, I, I, we haven't been to like in-person yoga class in a very long time now, um, given that we're, we're in 2021, but, um, the yoga teacher that I used to go to, 
I, you know, I wouldn't have considered him a teacher in any other realm, but when I stepped into the studio, I really like offered my, my body because mm -hmm. I trusted him to lead me deeper than I could lead myself in that area. So I think it's helpful sometimes for people to remember it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be all encompassing. Yeah, we can entrust a part of ourselves, but we can totally entrust in that realm. Mm -hmm. And we will meet different parts of ourselves. Um, so I have a number of, of different teachers, you know, and that's so important to me. And I also you know, one of my teachers is also up near Mount Shasta. And so it's simultaneously that I go and I just like really learn from him in particular, but also I, you know, I regularly put myself like in the space of nature. Mm, yeah. Um, as wild as I can, you know, so different people have different access to that. But like, I think, I think even being, I also, I go outside every night and I've been doing my, like I'm, I move my body to at least one song. And I have been doing that outside at night under the stars for the last probably like, you know, month or so. And there's something that's been really beautiful. Like, I feel like, um, I don't know, it's this very interesting connection of like, what is the music and what, how does my body want to move? And then what am I like offering up to the stars <laughs> just to get real cosmic about it? Um, so, I mean, that's another one. Like I have a regular either meditation or prayer practice. Right now it's prayer and bowing. You know, at other times it's a Kundalini yoga meditation or something, but, but for me, it is, it's the practice itself. And then I also really do believe that there's something around consistency yeah. that allows us to meet ourselves when we don't wanna. And that's very different than like, just push on through and do it because you said you would. It's like, oh no, I want to meet the part of myself mm -hmm. that, I, that, I, that I get to meet when I still move to a song, even though I don't want to, or when that. I still like bow my head to the floor, even though I don't want to, or, you know, like that, that to me is really key. I love that. So it's so beautiful. Like, cause I think we all struggle with this of like, you know, maintaining consistency, but not forcing it where it's like, I have to, I have to push through it. Um, but is there still like inquiring? Is there still that desire of like, do I still want, I want to meet this part of myself continually or do, yeah. do I value this? Still? Well, and there's a couple of things I would say, like I have a teaching that I, that I work with people on, which is really that um, commitment should serve devotion. Mm. And so it is a process to go like, we can't, most of us anyway, I don't want to speak for everybody, but we can't go like, what I'm most devoted to is dot, 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 you know, and just do like one journaling practice. And now we know like, what is our deepest devotion? Often it really takes time, but when we get to what are we most deeply devoted to, then we can always go like, and my commitments should serve that devotion. And if they don't, they're probably the wrong commitment. But if they do, then I am definitely sometimes not going to want to. Yeah. But if I can touch that deeper devotion, then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm still actually devoted to that. So like, fuck. Like, um, yeah. I feel like that's a whole other conversation I would like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like this, because I think again, like people get so confused about what commitment is and what it means and like how to go about staying committed to their you know, promises in life or to people or what, and it's like, 
it's so much more complex and dynamic and but yeah. like thing like it's it's much more authentic if we're staying committed to what um you know our, yeah our devotion what we what we truly truly value right yeah and what i find this is the this is like the the um Oh, what is that word that I'm looking for? But this is like the hard truth. This is this is the tough love of that, is that when we're when we're truly connected to our devotion, we will accept all the consequences of where we do and don't show up for commitments. So where people, you know, like I think the word authentic that you just use sometimes they're like, yeah, but it wasn't authentic for me to show up on time. And I'm like, no, you just didn't wanna. And if it so there's like, I have to show up on time because I said I would, and I, you know, I am my word and I am integrity. And then there's like, I just do whatever I want in the moment. Yeah. And da, 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 da. But no one's allowed to ever get mad at me about that mm. or like not like it that I don't keep my commitment. And actually when I'm commit, when I'm connected to devotion and I don't keep a commitment and somebody has a response to that, I'm always able to meet that. Yeah because I know what it's connected to. And it's not just an in the moment, I felt like it or I didn't feel like it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's more at the core of who you are. Yeah. yeah. It's anchored. Yeah. Yes, that's fantastic. Um, so another question I have, um, what or who is one of your greatest sources of inspiration? Yeah, I love this question too. The first one that comes up when I hear that is um, that it's nature. So many, like that whole right relationship piece, I mean, totally came up in connection with the sun. And, and that has, that's just been true my whole life. Like you, you referenced at the beginning how I grew up in the Zen center. And it actually took me years to realize that probably even more it, like influential in my life was that where I grew up was in the middle of the wilderness. So I was living in a Buddhist monastery with people who were devoted to like, you know, awareness practice and absolutely that impacted my life. But we, that was this tiny little community in the middle of the wilderness with no electricity. And so like actually growing up with the sounds of nature with darkness at night, you know, connection to like a river and mountains and scorpions and you know like I actually think that shaped me probably more yeah and it's one of my like greatest gratitudes in life um and so I always look I'm always looking to how does how does nature move um and what can I learn and And most of my greatest teachers, like I'm just sitting with that. I have a, you know, I have a, a mentor right now who has a lot of connection to kind of the natural spirit world. And then another mentor who lives on a wolf sanctuary, like hell, you know, and like, but in the middle of the, of the Southern California desert and is able to have that connection to nature. I have my teacher up at Mount Shasta and there are other realms for sure, but, um, but that's probably the biggest. And then, you know, Mary Oliver is like a, has been a huge teacher. And again, that's like this huge relationship with nature. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. 
Yeah. Um, that's, I think that's one of the things that stood out from what I've seen you share is, um, yeah, your connection with nature and, and appreciating people like Mary Oliver. Mm. Um, so one last question on your about page, you have this very humanizing and endearing section called seven and a half other things about me. And um, you say one of your superpowers is being able to identify edible plants anywhere, anytime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I can't say that for myself, but I did study ethnobotany and plant medicine up in my neck of the woods in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering um, what, if you have like a most intriguing plant from this region of the world. Mm, like where you are. Yeah. So the thing that I would say about that is that it actually is in connection. So like, I'll be out and I'll be like, oh, I know what that is, but I don't, I don't actually have the, it's not as, I mean, it has become a studied skill, but it was one of those things where I was like, I don't even totally know where I learned this. Um, but if I was walking in your area, I would probably be able to know certain things, but I don't actually know like, oh, what grows in that region and what grows in that region. And, um, but I had this uncanny knack, like I'd be driving, even in the Bay area, like I'd be driving and I'd be like, oh, they have an apricot tree. Like I'm coming back here in, you know, July <laughs> for the part that hangs over the fence <laughs> and I could just see them. That's so cool. I can just see them. Yeah, I remember. So I was a nanny for a number of years in San Francisco, and I used to walk um, through the city, but you know, the parks and all that. And I remember one of the little girls I nannied, it was like one of the best compliments ever. She looked at me, she was like, Kendra, you know, everything about plants. And I was like, well, I don't know about everything, but you know, like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it feels so I it feels so good to be connected to nature in that way because it's um again it comes back to this like sense of like intimacy with your environment and and again like knowing also knowing like the limitations of that like what are the danger parts and what are the the nourishing parts as well yeah i actually i have you know not i'm not a long-term teacher but i have somebody that i studied broom making with which oh yeah is so awesome um and they talk about it like the more than human realm. And I really love that. Cause I also love, uh, when I talk about nature, it often feels sort of like there's humans and then there's nature. Mm -hmm. I don't feel it that way, but it's hard to always know how to talk about it. But I, you know, looking at what is the human realm and then looking at it, like who are our more than human allies, our more than human um, connections. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We're at time. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you for taking your time and space to share your discerning wisdom with us. You're so welcome. It's totally been a pleasure. So if you want to find out more about Kendra and her programs, you can visit her website, kendrakunov.com. That's K-E-N-D-R-A-C-U-N-O-V.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. I also have a special free gift for all of my listeners. Just go to meganhart.coach gift. 
That's M-E-G-A-N-H-A-R-T dot C-O-A-C-H slash G-I-F-T. All my love to you. Until next time.